They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. You know it, you know it, SoundCloud.com. What is up? It is the Brotherly Love Podcast, the one and only Joe O'Donnell, John Mita here with you. We've got a great show for you. Johnny Mita, what's shaking, brother? Not much, buddy. Said about the show tonight, man. I'm really pumped for it. Uh, it should be a good listen for everyone out there. Yeah, we've got Bob Brookover from the Philadelphia Inquirer, one of their columnists, uh, set to join us. We're going to talk a lot uh, about the Philadelphia Flyers season coming to an end. We'll have that for you probably, I don't know, about uh, 15, 20 minutes from now. Um, and then obviously the NFL draft is right around the corner. By the time this thing posts, less than 24 hours from the first pick. And then obviously the second pick where the Philadelphia Eagles are most likely going to end up selecting uh, what they hope is their franchise quarterback. Plus we'll have our on-the-fly segment as well for you. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Check us out on Twitter at Podcast. Appreciate all the love and support right here on SoundCloud.com. All right, Johnny Mita, let's get right into it. Sam Bradford wants a trade. His agent, Tom Condon, is whining. Bradford's camp, quote-unquote, unhappy. Uh, started the break, really, the last several days, and now it is out there. Sammy is not in a good spot right now. Uh, mentally, it appears. He wants out. I don't know if the Eagles will accommodate him. You and I talked last week that you know they've got all these quarterbacks now, potentially drafting one, Chase Daniels signed, Bradford signed, all this money tied up in the position. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. We went over it last week. I said maybe the other shoe drops, maybe a trade's coming. Do you believe a trade is coming, and where do you stand on all this? Oh, God. <laughs> this has just been terrible from the start. I mean, basically since the season ended, you had Tom Condon coming out stating that his client was going to get $25 million per year, which everybody here was like, you know, what is he smoking? If he gets that, you know, he gets agent of the year. Now it comes out, they get a deal, which was a very thin market. You got to think about this, Joe. You know, what teams legitimately need a starting quarterback, right? You have the Jets. You know, they went with Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. Looks like, in all likelihood, he'll probably go back there. You now have Denver. So we traded the Sanchez to Denver. Would you want to go in this season with Mark Sanchez? And then maybe, do you have the San Francisco 49ers? They're talking about getting rid of Colin Kaepernick. So if you look at Houston, neither the quarterback in the offseason, they signed Brock Osweiler, who is also a Tom Condon client. If you look at it, there wasn't a huge market out there from Bradford from the start. You got to keep in mind also that this guy signed eleven million dollar signing bonus. Yeah, plus what he's going to make in base salary this year. So the fact that he's crying over it, and here's what he's like. You know, his agent comes out and says, "Well, you know, they should have shared this plan with my client." Well, listen, they had no idea they were going to pull a rabbit out of a hat, get rid of Byron Maxwell. Move up from 13 to number eight. 
They had no idea that they were going to, that Cleveland was going to sign Robert Griffin III and they were going to be out of the quarterback market and looking to add more picks and add more players for their organization. So, you know, the agent and Bradford can cry all they want, like, you know, this is so deceitful. Like, they only signed a two-year deal from the start. And the second year of it, pretty much the Eagles could have gone out of it and wasn't guaranteed. So where he thinks if he played well, he was going to get this five-year, $100 million deal. And to be frank with you, what does this guy want in this league? That's what I don't understand. It's understandable if you're a starting quarterback and you can gripe. Uh, I heard an interview today with a great interview on WIP. Glenn Macnow and, and Ike Reese had Boomer Sison on, and he was in a similar position. The Cincinnati Bengals drafted David Klingler. He went to the owner and said, listen, I'd like to get out of town. Clearly, this kid's your future. He waited there. He groomed the kid for one year. Next thing you know, they accommodated him and traded him. But Bradford needs to understand one thing. Like, this is an audition. If you play at a pro Bowl level, if you play all 16 games, which is a huge question mark, okay, that's fine. But if you play at that level, then you're going to get the deal you want. You're going to get the security of the organization the team's going to build around. I think the Eagles have done a decent job of, of this all season and getting better, you know, signing a better wide receiver, you know, fortifying the offensive line a little bit. I'm just so sick of him. The guy is just like a glass slipper. I mean, he is so fragile. And the other thing is that you got to understand the, the psyche, the mindset of his teammates. Like, if this guy can put the guy just signed for $11 million when nobody else was offering up that money, now he's all hacked off. My advice to Sam Bradford, shut up and play football for a year, and then you can basically write your own future. If you play that well, 20 other teams will be calling. We all know that quarterbacks in this league come at a, a, a very, I mean, good starting quarterbacks are very hard to come by. So, I just, I can't take it. I'm sick of him. I'm sick of Bradford. I'm sick of his agent. Now we're in a conundrum because we thought we could groom somebody. Now there's dissension on the team. Here we go. We got the quarterback controversy. Again, it's just, uh, it's just wonderful here. Yeah, and, and half of that $11 million signing bonus has already been paid to Sam. Like, like Bradford's yeah. already cashed the check. Uh, and that's yeah. that's from Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, who had a great piece talking about the other quarterbacks that are clearly better than him. Uh, that doesn't even include some of the young guys like the Teddy Bridgewaters of the world, Marcus Mariotas of the world, Kirk Cousins, where the jury is maybe still out, Jameis Winston. you know, This is, again, from Florio, Pro Football Talk, who does an outstanding job. And he says, basically, you know, if Bradford wants out so bad, then give some of the money back or find a team that's going to give the money back because the Eagles right now have already made an investment. And on top of that, for Sam Bradford, uh, you know, I just it, this thing bothers me from from both perspectives. Okay, from the Bradford perspective, how is his stance any good for business? Puts the team in a bad spot, gives up any real trade leverage now that everybody knows he's unhappy. Plus, missing workouts, playing the role of bad company guy, isn't going to help the Eagles win more games. It's not going to help him endear himself to his teammates anymore. All right, he's not going to grasp the offense any better by playing the role of uh, poor sport. From the Eagles' perspective, oh, and on top of that, John Mita, the fans are absolutely going to crush this guy when the season starts. From the Eagles' perspective, what about the morale of the starting quarterback? 
You know, did the Eagles put any stock into this? David Murphy had a great column the other day. Uh, the headline was that the Eagles are basically tone deaf. Now, I know the writers don't write the headlines, but Murphy goes on to say that Zach Ertz and Jordan Matthews, they, ra- they have rallied around Bradford. They're working out with him. They're spending time with him. They believe in him, right? And those are two future fixtures to the Eagles' offense, Ertz and, and Matthews. They believe in Bradford. They think he's the guy. And, and, and did the Eagles not factor in any of this? That Bradford was going to be unhappy, that his morale would be crushed, that he would want out, that the the rest of your offensive core might be like, what the hell's going on? Are we not trying to win now? Um, so from both sides, from Bradford's side, I don't get it at all. From the Eagles' side, I don't get it at all. And it's just a, it's just a disaster. There's almost no way this marriage ends happily. Eagles haven't even drafted this quarterback yet. It's going to come in the next 24 hours, whoever it is, Goff or Wentz. And yet, Condon, the agent's whining. Bradford's camp's unhappy. The Eagles are, they're just, again, a PR nightmare. I don't understand it, all right? It, this, it, this, to me, is another one of the set of roster moves without a sense for the ramifications, all right? You sign two quarterbacks in the offseason, Bradford and Daniel, re-signing Bradford, of course. You invest really an unusual amount in the quarterback position. Then you trade a ton of picks to potentially move up and draft said quarterback. Then you upset your starting quarterback based on all this, and you've got all the focus right now on something other than the new players you're going to add in the draft, and basically you continue the media circus that this organization has become the last couple of years. I mean, I went a couple of podcasts back, I talked about this, right? You had the Michael Vick situation, then Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy, and now, Bre- I mean, Kit Riley Cooper with the racial slurs. Can the Eagles just have a few months without off-the-field nonsense and focus on building a core and building a winning product? That's all I want. Okay? There's no legit. You named it. You hit it right on the head. There's really no legitimate suitors for Sam Bradford. All right? Is a trade coming? I don't know. What can you possibly get back? At this point, they need money and picks. Are they going to get that? I don't know. Hey, great point. It's it's an absolute to take your term grease fire. <laughs> I mean, it is just now how he didn't think that they would, you know, not take a quarterback after you know moving up. I, I just. But my whole thing is this is a business. Okay. All right, this is a business. You know, you've been paid to do a job, to do one of the best jobs ever is to be able to play a sport and get paid for it handsomely. I mean, I think that is a hell of an opportunity. And just just, just do a job and prove the doubters wrong. I'm very skeptical of a guy that does this much whining. You know, where is his leadership in that? Like, he's crying over this, like, I don't want to go to battle with that guy. Do you want to go to battle with this guy? You know, the minute, you know, there's some adver- there's some adversity here, next thing you know, he's ready to fold up his tent. No, thank you. Yeah, and, and even worse, he's not even doing it himself. It, it got leaked oh, out, and his agent's talking oh. for him. Hold your damn press conference. T.O. did sit-ups in the driveway. Something Mike Florio yeah. mentioned on Pro Football Talk in his piece. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't want, you know, yeah. you already got a circus. Sam Mines will stand up yeah. in front of the media after this pick's made tomorrow and say exactly why he's upset. But at the same time, he should say, you better damn well be sure I'll be prepared to be the best leader I can and keep this kid on the bench. Period. What else would Philadelphia yeah. fans want to hear? Plain and simple. Oh. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, Bob Brookover from the Philadelphia Inquirer will join us. We'll pick his brain. He had a piece this morning saying that this right now for the Eagles might be the best part of them in 2016. 
Bob Brookover joins us next on the Brotherly Love Podcast. You're listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast, exclusively on SoundCloud.com. We are back on SoundCloud.com, the Brotherly Love Podcast. Check us out on Twitter, at Podcast. Talked about the Eagles and the Sam Bradford situation in our first segment. Now we are glad to be joined by Bob Brookover from the Philadelphia Inquirer, one of their longtime sports columnists. Bob, thanks for joining us, my man. No problem. Good to to be on, John. John. All right, let's talk about your initial reaction to the Eagles' pre-draft move. I mean, jumping up to number two was certainly a big gamble. When it first went down, you said what? Uh... I did not like it from the beginning because I just felt like this team has too many other needs and the two quarterbacks that are going to go one and two in this draft are Goff and Wentz, obviously. Um, if you look at most teams' draft boards, they're not the first and second best players in this draft. They're, they're quarterbacks, which make them high-priority guys, but they're not the first. On most draft boards, they're – Lower top 10 with Goff, I think, and maybe 10, 11, 12 for, for Wentz. You just line them up, the type of player they are, what, what player they're considered. So you got two teams, the Rams and the Eagles, jumping ahead because they have this needed quarterback. Although, to me, the Eagles didn't have a needed quarterback. They had Sam Bradford, and I would have gone and taken strength. You have enough weaknesses in other areas. Offensive line comes to mind immediately. Running backs, another one, and there are two, and there are good guys at those two positions that could have helped this team a lot. And you could have built your team for this season, but the Eagles obviously decided to go a different direction. It looks like the Birds are going to be taking Carson Wentz uh, with this pick. Obviously, that's all contingent on this Rams and what they do at number one. And you mentioned another. They said that they have more holes. A guy that I look at in the third round, which is now one of their picks after. They've kind of mortgaged the future, so to speak. Do they draft running back in the third round? Is that something you see them targeting? I think it's impossible to know what they're going to do in the third round. Uh, you know, I think they they fill a need in the third round. Who who it's going to be? It's just too low down the board. To I mean, it's just nothing but a guess at that point because so many things have to happen before you get there. Uh, but you know, to me. I think they're more likely to go with an offensive lineman. They haven't they haven't drafted an offensive lineman since they took Lane Johnson with the first pick in what was that 2013, I guess, um, and haven't drafted an offensive lineman since then. So I'd be would think they'd be more inclined to draft an offensive lineman. In your personal opinion, Bob, do you think Howie Roseman is the guy to bring this team back to a legitimate contender, or were you a VL and I wasn't sure if you wrote on this that they needed a legit football kind of type of personality or general manager for that matter to bring him back. I haven't written anything to that in that regard. Um, I would like to see him bring in a guy with a more of a football background than Howie. Uh, that doesn't mean he can't be the guy to do it. Howie's a very smart guy. I, I'm not in favor of many of the decisions he's made this offseason, but he's a very smart guy. He waited his time out here with the, in this thing with Chip Kelly that he went through last year. 
and you, you, you regain power. I mean, early when that first happened, when Chip was out, we thought maybe they would bring in a football guy. That's kind of what Jeffrey Lurie led us to believe, but then they decided there wasn't the right guy out there and that it would be a collaborative effort between you know, the scouts and Howie and Doug Peterson. But it's obvious that the strongest voice here is, is, is Howie Roseman. So for the, the sake of Eagles fans, uh, I hope Howie's the right guy. Bob Brookover joins us. He's a sports columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's been with the Inquirer since 2000. You can follow him on Twitter, at BrookOB. That's B-R-O-O-K-O-B. Bob, your piece today said that Eagles fans should pretty much enjoy the offseason because, quote, this is as good as 2016 is going to get for your Philadelphia Eagles, end quote. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It, It's scary, but I really think that's the, the way things are going to go here, regardless of what happens with Bradford, because to me, they're not getting any help in this draft until the third round, um, and they needed help. I mean, uh, if, if you think Jason Peters is going to play 16 games, number one, and if you think he's going to play 16 games anywhere close to the level he played in 2013, which hasn't happened the last two years, you're, they're absolutely fooling themselves in that, re- in that regard. So they have issues there. They're, they're weaker at running back. Uh, and they're not they're not filling any of those needs in this draft. I mean, if you get a third round offensive lineman, the chances are he's going to take some time. He's going to be a bit of a project. Now, if, if Bradford uh, continues to carry out this trade demand, and the Eagles appease him and trade him, and you know get get something in return, you know they're not going to get something uh, that's going to be like a first round pick or really make a difference maker here. In this draft, and now you're talking about Chase Daniel being your starting quarterback, and Carson Wentz watching. Now, you know, even if Carson Wentz goes on to become the quarterback of the next ten years and the exact right guy for this franchise, it's not going to help this team in 2016. What have you heard about Carson Wentz? If he again, you know, again, if he's the guy from quote unquote football people you trust? Uh, I, you know, I think a lot of football people like him, but they all believe he needs some time to to watch and learn learn that he's not a guy who is going to step right in and be your quarterback. And not, not many guys are. I mean, you know, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota were two guys at the top of, near the top of the board last year. And they had to come in, and they had their struggles in their first year. They had some really good moments, too. They had some terrific moments. But neither one of their teams ended up being anything special. The Titans, of course, ended up being the number one top of the board again. So... You know, it's it, it's the best guys struggle when they come in if they don't watch, and so that's that's not a knock on Carson Wentz. It's just that he he's a ways from being a top NFL quarterback if he ever becomes one. And you know, I don't know, and it scares a lot of football people that he didn't play against the top competition in college. Hey, Bob, if you can look into your crystal ball, so to speak, and I'm sorry for asking these crazy hypotheticals, but who do you think is going to be the week one starter for the Philadelphia Eagles this year? Uh, at quarterback, I think I think it's going to be Chase Daniel. I really do. Wow. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll, 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 just say, I'll be surprised if it's not. Good stuff. Bob Brookover joins us. He's from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Bob, what do you enjoy more as we switch gears here for a second? Writing opinionated columns or covering a team on the beat, so to speak? 
Um, I, I enjoy enjoy both of them. There's times where I say, you know what, I I miss the when you become a columnist, you become more distant from from everything in terms of the day to day part of it, and um, you know, in, in some ways, it frees you up to have a better personal life. <laughs> but in in other ways, it it also um, you, you miss that just being firmly entrenched in everything that's going on with the team. I mean, you, the, the smallest thing you know about, you know, and you try to know about it right away. And, and there's a, there's a, there's a certain rush to chasing the story that way. Um, it gets harder as you get older. I will say that. What's your interaction like with Philly fans on Twitter? I know you're on Twitter. We mentioned it at Brooke Ob on Twitter. What what is that part of social media like for you? You know, I I try to do it more through email because my email is still out there, it's still on every story, and I interact more with more with readers in email than I do than I do on Twitter, just because I feel like it's it's, it's a more personal thing. I know there, you know, it's just between me and me and that person. Then it's not necessarily something that somebody else can read and have comments on. I, I prefer to do it where somebody sends me an email and I have an opportunity to say, okay, this is this is what I think. And, you know, if you want to call me an idiot, which a couple of people did today after writing off the 2016 Eagles. Uh, but that's okay. I don't care if you call me an idiot. But I'm going to answer <laughs> you and say, here's why I said that, you know, and I'd rather do it in, that, in, in an email form than on Twitter. Tom, I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of people in this town, you know, covering a variety of sports. But is there one per- one athlete or one person that you really enjoyed either covering or interviewing the most? Um, there's a lot of guys going back a lot of years uh, that I that I enjoyed covering. You know, I I, I did hockey today, and and Ron Hexel was uh, the GM is talking, and as I'm sitting there, I co- I covered him when he was was a rookie goaltender in 1987 taking the Flyers to the final. I just thought about how crazy he was, uh, and, and it was really a weird feeling to sit there and think about how crazy this guy was when he was a goaltender and how uh, emotional he was, and then to watch him as a general manager building this team through being through patience, and I kind of, I kind of wrote about that tomorrow, how this, this guy, I could you know, when I watched him when he was a 22-year-old rookie, and I was, and myself, I was only 24 years. Like this guy was never going to be the general manager of the Philadelphia yeah. Flyers, but but there he is, <laughs> and it's, it's a weird juxtaposition when you when you think about it. Uh, but there there are many, many, many guys, baseball players. You know, I used to love dealing with Scott Rowland, Terry Mahone, uh Brad Lidge was great to deal with. Um, you know. Managers uh, this weekend, uh, I'll, I'll be at a Phillies game and I'll see Terry Francona, and he was one of my favorite people to deal with. Love dealing with Larry Boa. He, you know, he he could get angry with you sometimes, but he, you know, a great person to deal with. Um, you know, football Andy Clue, one of the all-time great people. So there's just there's the list I could go on forever. You don't have a, you don't have enough time even on a podcast. Today. Well, we don't have enough time. We don't have enough time because if, if Scott Rowland gets mentioned again on this podcast, am I, I mean, really, Scott Rowland? From a media standpoint, terrific to deal with. Really, I know the fans didn't. I know the fans didn't love him, but from a media standpoint, he was he was a good guy to deal with. All right, Bob. Last thing I've got for you, which you know, it's, it's I, I did read your Hextall piece right before we started the recording. 
uh, here tonight on SoundCloud.com. Great job on that. And it is funny you mentioned Hextall in that juxtaposition there because he, he approaches things as a GM like a professor, I feel like. And as a player, he was anything but, anything but uh, um, you know, playing within the lines a lot of times. But uh, with all that said, the Phillies have their process. The Flyers have their process. The Sixers, well, Hinky had a process. Who knows? Chip Kelly had his quote-unquote process. <laughs> Which Philadelphia sports team wins a major title next? That's a good one. That's a, it's a it's a really good one. Um, I, I you're not gonna believe it, but I think maybe the Phillies. Believe it or not, and they're all to me at least four or five years away. But I think it might be the Phillies. I really do. That'd be that'd be insanity, to be quite honest. <laughs> but it, it, it would be insanity. But if you think, if you think about it, I, I don't feel like the Sixers are all that close. Uh, Flyers would probably be second on my list. Yeah, but that's a tough sport, a tough tournament to go through to win it. It's a crapshoot once you get in it. Yep. And I think the Eagles are far right now, and the Phillies to me just seem like they're at least doing things the right way, you know. And 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 they've got a bunch of they've got a bunch of resources that they can use when they get to that point of being good. And then you talk about they've got the first overall pick this year, you know. So there's a there's a lot of things in their favor right now. Well, we appreciate your time, Bob. Thanks for joining us uh, again. It's a very busy time, Philadelphia sports, the draft tomorrow. Uh, and again, thanks for your time. Appreciate the insight. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, John. Have a great night. You too. Thanks, Bob. Really appreciate it. All right. That is Bob Brookover from the Philadelphia Inquirer right here on the Brotherly Love podcast on SoundCloud.com. Johnny Mita, you're, uh, you want to give a reaction to that on the other side or you want to uh, talk about it as, as we go here? Ah, let's uh, let's do it on the other side. Take a little break. All right, you got it, my man. You got it. No problem. Wish I was ready for that. Cued up some music here. No, 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 no. no. That's fine. Man, we can talk about it. It's fun with you. Said we got it. We got it. We got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Just needed like twenty seconds to reach over to the other computer screen. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Flyer season is in the books. We'll digest that plus on the fly, and we'll talk about what Bob Brookover just said after this. You're listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast exclusively on SoundCloud.com. All right, we are back on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Final segment for you. Joe Donald, John Mita here with you. Our thanks to Bob Brookover from the Philadelphia Inquirer. All right, Johnny Mita, your reaction to what he said about the 2016 Eagles season essentially being over before it starts, and then that the Phillies might be the next team to win a title. <laughs> wow, man, where do we get started? Uh, I thought the interesting thing, one of the things from the interview was the fact that and I tried to pin him down on who, who, who the starting quarterback for the Eagles was, you know, come week one, and he comes out with Chase Daniels. Yeah, I don't great know point. If that was going to be his response. No, I didn't. But, uh, I forgot. Know. I'd already forgotten about that nugget, which is actually what you kind of said a week ago. Or excuse me, you didn't maybe say that. Yeah. You actually said you have yeah. confidence in Chase, Chase Daniel, which might be more laughable, my good friend. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, I thought because they were making this move. You know, the Bradford Mike right like the little baby. So I said, listen, you're paying Chase Daniels some legitimate money. Just try to trade him and see if you can get anything in return. 
uh, the Phillies being, uh, you know, on their way there, the next team that possibly went, if you look at, I mean, I found that interesting, but I could, I, I could see some relevance, you know, with this point to the fact that, you know, there's some decent young arms and, and, and their young pitching has surprised a lot of people. Now, the bullpen right now is to be desired, but if you look at, you know, some of their core young players, you, you have Franco, you got Doobie Herrera, you know, that's doing a decent job of leading off. You figure JT Crawford, and the exciting short future shortstop for the team is going to be coming up. You figure, I think Randolph will probably be the future first baseman, and then they have the number one overall pick. Now, apparently, they're going to go pitcher, and maybe this is this is you know the year that they should take that that slugger that they're looking for. And you know, and I don't know if that person's actually out there, but may, maybe that's so. You know, I thought, you know what? Who knows? I mean, the teams are so far. I probably would have said, right now, to me, it seems like the Flyers. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, to be honest with you, and we we could go into that. Yeah, so, that's what it's, were your thoughts? No, it's a perfect segue uh, because if I had a if I had a you know a horse in the race, I'd go Fly Guys. Um, even though it's been since 1974 for crying out loud, but you know if I if I look at the Sixers, it's just there's too many unknowns. Could the Sixers be an Eastern Conference contender two years from now? Sure. It's the NBA. Star power wins, and they have some young players potentially with a lot of star power and a ton of draft picks to add more star power. And then you possibly get veteran guys looking to win now, and you can add them to your organization. Uh, The Eagles, I'm not a big believer in Poopy Peterson as a head coach. I hate this move to trade up to number two. I don't think they're anywhere close now because of the last two months. Uh, And that... Free agent moves notwithstanding, because I liked a lot of them, shedding some of the dead weight, getting some money back, and solidifying the defense and offensive line, as you touched on so eloquently back in our first segment. On the fills, I just feel like it's going to take more time, hence why the Flyers would have been my pick. Uh, and again, we'll transition into the Flyers' season coming to an end, losing one nothing Sunday in Game 6, the Washington Capitals advancing to the second round. i got a couple of what-ifs for you, Johnny Mita. We can bounce these around real quick. Uh, what if Michael Neuvert started Game 3 in Philadelphia after Steve Mason had the Flyers in an 0-2 hole? Not really from poor play in Game 1, but certainly a soft goal in Game 2 from 185 feet away or whatever didn't help their cause. So what if Michael Neuvert started in Game 3? What if the Flyers' power play didn't execute at an absolutely terrible percentage? And what if Sean Couturier didn't get hurt in Game 1? Three big what-ifs. And in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, there's a lot of what-ifs, a lot of teams feeling like, man, what if when their season comes to an end? Were the Flyers that close? Sure. It's a one nothing game in Game 6. If they force a Game 7, all the heat's on the Caps back in their home building. Yeah, I mean, Neuvert played incredible Yeah, uh, when, when he was called upon. I mean, he was unbelievable. And one of the concerning things for me, you know, regarding this series, it's where Claude Giroux disappeared. He was in the witness protection program in yep. the series. I mean, between not taking shots on goal, between and my whole thing is, you know, somebody brought up a good point to me because I brought this up with a friend of mine, and he said, well, maybe, maybe he's still hurt dealing with it. You know, he had some concussions late in the series or late in the season. Maybe that was kind of weighing in his mind. He just wasn't going as hard as he used to. And I don't know, but, you know, for your captain to come up that small and that type of spotlight, 
that's very concerning to me. It's a great um, point, and 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 I was I almost said something last podcast. I didn't. I'll say it now because it's my understanding that Ron Hextall at this time still is not divulged if there are any season-ending injuries, season-ending surgeries that need to happen. I'm sure that'll come out in the coming days. I'm going to guess that Claude Giroux is on that list. Now, I'm not blaming it solely on some injury that I'm not even sure he had, but the the, the sledding was tough. Okay, it's playoff yeah. hockey. Time and space are at a premium to begin with, but the Caps were suffocating and structured in their approach, right? They're a better skating team than the Flyers. They have more puck possession than the Flyers. The analytics of today's game, whether you like it or not, it's part of hockey now. Say the puck possession, shot attempts, all those things are going to lend at the end, lend themselves at the end of the night to usually who wins the game. The Capitals' far yeah. superior team from a skating standpoint, puck possession standpoint, that to me all starts on the back end. Now here's where it gets bright for the Flyers. Most of your top draft picks and prospects are defensemen. But look at the Caps for a minute. John Carlson and Matt Niskin. They are elite, experienced defensemen still in their prime. Carl Alsner plays a physical brand of hockey. He's eating up 20-plus minutes a night right now through the first round of the playoffs. The Flyers are rolling out Brandon Manning and a washed-up Mark Streit, not to mention Andy freaking McDonald every third shift. That makes a huge difference. If you can't break it out cleanly, if you can't execute out of your defensive zone, you don't stand a chance. And the Flyers, too often, their best breakout, their only breakout, was lobbing the puck straight up into the rafters, getting it out the center, living the fight another day, their goaltender standing on his head. That was the Flyers' breakout. They didn't attack with speed because they couldn't. The Caps, yeah. backside pressure, unbelievable. Yeah. All right, Barry Trotz okay. had that team playing as a unit. So if they were struggling to score or frustrated because Neuvert's standing on his head, they didn't deviate. You didn't see the Flyers getting two-on-ones, three-on-twos, breakaways every game, every period, because the Caps just played their system, and they're a better skating team. They have more speed. They had the puck more. So when the Flyers got it, they just hustled their ass after it and got it back. If it's plain and simple, if you watch the series, that's the biggest difference. The back-end play, the skating, the Flyers need to get quicker. They need to get better puck-moving defensemen. And obviously then specialty teams a huge part. Uh, however, yeah. with all that said, Johnny Mita, the future extremely bright with the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm all in on the Hextall-Hackstall combo, all right? They've got to stick to this plan that Ronnie Hextall has put in place. Don't rush the younger players. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, just to address a couple of your what ifs, Joe. Sorry to yeah. piggyback on a, a point of view. You know, you said you brought up Sean Couturier. There is no doubt that this guy was solely missing the series for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's basically your best defensive forward. Um, he basically takes on the top line guys. That's one of the things that kind of made him the player that he is today. Kind of his staple, so to speak. So him not being able to lock up defensively against some of the better offensive players on the opposing team, that was huge. The other thing, too, is he's not the greatest offensive player, but he does provide some type of some type of pop. You know, yeah. you look at these teams that are doing well in the playoffs, they have good second lines, and, and then their third line, you know, I got to give the, the Flyers' third line credit, man, between Wayne and Belmar and... and yeah, that's the fourth, that's the fourth line. Oh, the fourth line. Yeah, yeah. but you're right. I'm they sorry. they had the they guy, spent the most time in the even, offensive zone out of any line. Yeah, they played extremely well. So that's another thing, another bright spot to look at. And I, I agree with you. Defensively, this team was lacking. Uh, 
besides Goff's despair, the defense, it is and, so, we're so lucky that, that Hextel has stayed the course. And when these guys, you know, the rookie that they drafted from Russia Pro Football last year, and these guys come up and the big sweep, they are going to be legit and we're going to be ready to go. I think another thing is that they, they got to get some more firepower. Either that, or the guys that are on their team need to step up their games. And another injury that probably wasn't, it looked like Jake Wurczak was playing at like 70%. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how hard, I, I'm sure he's probably going to be on that, that surgery list at the end of the offseason as well. Yeah, well, he was coming back from injury at the end of the year too, so right. he certainly wasn't 100%. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and Can you get more out of the guys you have? I don't know. I think you just need to find some scoring help, veteran scoring help through free agency, fiscally responsible, of course, which I think Hextall has proven. Um, I will say this again, though. That R.J. Umberger trade was atrocious. I mean, if there's a black eye on the two years as Ron Hextall as GM, that trade was just a disaster. I mean, you saved, what, maybe $1 million? But look at the type of player Scott Hartnell is compared to R.J. Umberger. It's not even close. R.J. Umberger's in the press box, dude. He can't even get on the ice. He stinks. Exactly. And Hartnell would have been on one of the top, you know, would have been on one of the top few ones. Braden Shen was an absolute beast. That guy was hammering, hammering everything that moved in a capital sweater. Still can't understand or fathom why he's suspended for three games to start next year. I mean, Jason Chimera lit up a Flyers player from behind head first into the glass. I don't see him getting suspended for a playoff game or to start next season. I don't even know what Braden Shen did in game six. I didn't even go back and watch the clip. I don't remember watching the game saying, that's suspendable. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as the hit that you're bringing up is like the hit on word check. Right. Face first into the glass. Yeah, if Warcheck wasn't wearing a visor there, oh. and he probably would have had his face yeah. to pieces. I mean, yeah, that was so bad that that happened right in front of referee. Listen, I got to be honest with you, man. The rest, the Flyers, no favors in this, but I just and their and their power phone. Overhandling the puck, man. The Flyers constantly overhandle. Ghost look lost. I mean, I know first playoff series for the young kid. And, and but the power play just so stagnant, not shooting pucks, and they just got pressured all up the ice every time they had the puck deep in their zone, trying to break out. Capitals are 190 feet from their net, pressuring the puck because they knew if they disrupted the Flyers' power play, they had them out of sorts, they had them out of sync, and I just don't feel they ever made any adjustments in that regard. No, that's a great point, and and you talked about the pressure. I think that was the big story with the Flyers' power play not being efficient at all was the fact that they just could not get set up. I mean, they would go a couple power plays in a row without even taking a shot on yeah. goal. Yep. I think they had one, what was it, a five-on-three. Yeah. Where, like, they probably didn't even get... When you have a five-on-three... For a minute 50. Pepper the keeper. Yeah. Pepper the keeper. I yep. mean, just onslaught. Right? Yeah. And it's hard to do that. But the future's bright. Listen, nobody expected this team to, get to, to make the playoffs the young guys got experience. Yes. You got to love the fact that, that Dave Haxtell, the coach, got some coaching experience. Yep. And they went up against the best team in the playoffs and took the team to six games. So, from that standpoint, you got to think like that's, you know, a feather in their cap, so to speak. And, and there's nothing but good and better things to happen. I think if Ron Hextall, you know, 
done some good moves in the offseason. I think he's going to be looking at a contender within the next couple of years. His Flyers team never quit, especially down 3 nothing in the series. Would have been excusable to do so. This year proved to me that Dave Hackstall can succeed at the game's highest level coming from the NCAA ranks, that he could get the players to buy in. Two big questions that I had when they hired him initially. Uh, your point about the experience, a great one. Playoff experience is invaluable. Now you build on it. Now you try and finish top three in the division, maybe get home ice in the first round. Those would be the next steps in my eyes. Continue to develop the young players through the farm system. Continue to be fiscally responsible in free agency. Add some veteran scoring presence. Um, you know, Make sure the goaltending situation remains intact, whether it's Mason and Neuver or some combination thereof. Very, very crucial for this team to continue to build in the right direction. And lastly, I'll say this, and I don't know if I ever would have thought I'd utter these words given the fact this guy was uh, almost out of hockey a couple years ago, but the Flyers sorely missed Michael Delzato as this season moved along. Talking about, you know, a couple minutes ago, talking about the fencemen and and their lack of D, losing him for the year. A guy that rejuvenated his career here in Philadelphia the last season and a half. Certainly a glaring... uh, you know, lack of experience and depth on the blue line is what the Flyers were faced with in the Stanley Cup playoffs. All right, let's go to on the fly, Johnny Meade, before we get on out of here. It's our unscripted question for one another. I don't know what you're asking me and vice versa. I'm going to start. All right, you ready? I'm ready, brother. Bye. We are 14 weeks away from the Summer Olympics in Rio. The best summer, uh, the best summer Olympic sport is what? Shoo! The best summer Olympic sport. Man, that is, uh, I got to tell you, man, the track and field for me is very entertaining to watch. You know, I, I don't know. I can't really name, like, I like all the events. I'm going to say track and field. Yeah. I'm with you. The, the well, battle for the world's well, fastest man. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and it's so funny. Somebody brought up the Canadian, there's always the talk at the Tokyo Caucasian from Canada. Trying to come down the line in the one hundred hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I would say track and field, man, for me. All right, what do you got? On the fly, man. Just to piggyback on what we've just been discussing the last eight minutes of this podcast. What is the first move that Ron Hexball needs to make in the offseason? Um, a draft day okay. deal, an NHL draft day deal. It'll be early oh. June. The couple or mid June. The cup has just been handed out. There are always a lot of trades at the NHL draft. Always. Um, yeah. The Flyers have been involved in them in the past. I would say an NHL draft day deal that nets the Flyers more experience to bring along these young guys. Uh, I was looking at you know some potential free agents this summer. You know David yeah. Backus of the Blues, their captain, is a free agent. He can score. He plays a physical brand of hockey. He's not over the hill yet. Uh, so certainly you want to look at free agency, but I would say for the Flyers, it begins with the draft day deal that nets them some veteran scoring presence without mortgaging a ton of their draft picks for the future. Does that deal include Claude Giroux? <laughs> I don't know. that To me, if I'm Ron Hextall, I think it's a great question, great follow-up by you. I leave that in the hands of my head coach, Dave Hextall. I, I sit down, you know, exit meetings have come and gone now for all the NHL teams have been eliminated, and I go to Dave Hackstall and I say, what's your assessment of our captain? Because he's the leader. He has to be the voice in the room when the coach is gone. And if he's not doing it, if he's not, you know, if he is starting to slide, I think I read today, uh, 
you know, his points have decreased each of the last three years. In fact, that might have been a Bob Brookover's column, in fact, on, on Hextall and the plan and the patience he's showing his GM. So if, if the Philadelphia Flyers and their head coach, Dave Hextall, decide that year one with Claude Giroux as his captain, he doesn't like, you know, what's the message he's, he's getting or the attitude or any of that stuff, that's when the GM says, all right, it's time to consider a new face of the franchise. Good answer, brother. I think I already played this. Let me find some new bumper music. <laughs> all right, here we go. All right, Johnny Mita. Great game, bro. The Eagles. Do they select Carson Wentz tomorrow? I think it's going down, man. The North Dakota the North Dakota kid, man. All right, and in 10 seconds. And, and, and third round, they take my boy out of Utah, Devontae Booker, running back. All right. You heard it here first on SoundCloud.com. Finally, in 10 seconds, John Mead, did Sam Bradford get traded tomorrow during the draft? Yes. Wow. Hey, that's why you tune in to the Brotherly Love Podcast. Our thanks to Bob Brookover for John Mead. I'm Joe O'Donnell. Appreciate all the love and support. Till next time, we'll see Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.